0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, today we heard Jesus telling a story that blows to smithereens the idea that God only uses good people. Jesus offers a parable. Yes, I didn't delete it delete the kids (laughs) man who's had a rough parenting week um if you're in third to fifth grade and need to be dismissed to your class you can go ahead and be deleted so jesus tells us this story it's a parable it's one that luke says jesus gave to encourage his disciples to keep praying and not to lose heart but the problem, if we're paying attention to the story, is the main character in the tale is a louse of a judge. And this scoundrel judge is the one who in this parable stands in for God. This judge is a reprehensible person. It's the kind of civic leader or politician who maneuvers to get their position with bribes and crooked deals and smoke-filled rooms. They promise the sky, but they have no intentions whatsoever of doing anything, not lifting a single finger, unless it pads their wallet or pumps their ego. And we know this judge is a shady dealer because Jesus tells the judge, neither feared God nor had respect for people. Now I'm going to give you a little interpretive clue here. Uh, you have to go to seminary for many, many years to learn this. But when you're reading the Bible and it says that someone has no respect whatsoever for God, that's a bad thing. (laughs) So this judge didn't give a rip about God, didn't give a rip about anybody else. He was selfish. He was small. He was power hungry. But there was a widow. Now, in the first century, if you were a widow, it meant you were destitute. Typically, it meant you had lost everything. Typically, it meant your life was near to over. But this widow continually came to the judge's court and badgered the judge with requests for a ruling in her favor against some adversary that we don't have named. So we really have no idea who this woman was. We have no idea who her adversary was. We have no idea what had supposedly been done wrong to her. We don't know if there was any merit to her charge We really don't know if she'd been wronged. We don't know if she had been wronged, what should be done to right it. All we really know in the story is that the widow was tenacious. She would not take no for an answer. And finally, the judge, worn out by all the harassment, desperate to get on with his important business of taking bribes and probably playing squash at the club, decided that he would deal with this widow And the judge says to himself, and this is one of those times where I imagine Jesus as the storyteller must have just sort of, you know, giggled at himself if Jesus does that sort of thing. Because this is what the way, the words that Jesus puts in the bad judge's mouth. You know, it's true what they say about me. I don't have any fear of God, and I don't respect anybody whatsoever. I mean, who... Ever talks about themselves this way. <laughs> I just imagine Jesus going, shot, yeah, this is great. But this woman is wearing me out. And so I'm going to give her what she wants so I can get her off my back. And so that's what the judge does. He gives the woman the legal ruling that she's been badgering him for. And this is where Jesus drives his point home in the story. If a judge as awful and evil as this can be moved to intervene, then think about how much more powerfully God's heart and God's strength will move on our behalf. It's a contrast. If you think that bad judges will be moved to action for whatever reason, think about how surely we can be that when the good father here's our request that the good Father's heart is moved toward us. Now remember, the main reason for Jesus' story was to encourage his followers to continue to pray, to go to God with their hopes and their needs, with their calls for justice, even when it seemed like God was very far away, even when it seemed like God wasn't listening that even when it seemed like no answer was coming, that they would continue to pray and they would not lose heart. And Jesus' story says, this is why you don't lose heart. Because God is generous and kind, not like the bad judges of this world. God is stronger. God is kinder. God is more generous. God is our hope. And we can trust in this good, strong God. Now this story in Luke, encouraging the disciples not to give up, not to stop praying, was given after these really disturbing words Luke gives in the chapter before about all this destruction that's coming all the turmoil that's going to happen. It seems like in in ways, Jesus was hinting toward the destruction of Jerusalem that was literally going to decimate the nation. And in that destruction, it would be very tempting, if you were Jewish, to think that God had absolutely deserted you. But Jesus tells them, This destruction is coming, but as the destruction is coming, don't stop praying. Don't lose heart, because this isn't the whole story. In the face of such horrific experiences, it would be the easiest thing in the world to give up. Anybody can give up. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to assume that God was weak or God didn't care or God had forgotten about his promises to his people. But Jesus' story tells us that's not the way God is. God's not like the wicked judges of this world. The ones who, if they are ever moved to action, they're moved only because it serves their self-interests. God moves on our behalf because God is the good father who loves, who rescues, who renews, who restores. Is there some place in your story today where you've given up hope that God cares for you? Or maybe that God cares at all for your family Or maybe for your future. Are you on the verge of this kind of surrender? Are you about to capitulate to despair? Are you about to give up? Are you about to lose heart? This is why some of us really need Jesus' words. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Let those words sink in. Do not lose heart. I know the pain is acute. but don't lose heart. I know the future seems grim, but don't lose heart. I know you may think that you're alone. Don't lose heart. I know that you may be tempted to believe that God's promises of renewal and hope seem... Ridiculously fanciful. Don't lose heart. I know that you may be tired of the questions or the heaviness or the despairing crush. Do not lose heart. I've probably said this more times than I care to admit and. I will probably say it a lot more times in the future than I care to admit. But I think if you were to boil down like my life as a preacher in one sentence, it probably would be this one. Do not lose heart. I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> but I want to beat this drum over and over and over. Do not lose heart. And Jesus' story is not spoken to people who are in uh, about to head into plushness. It, it's spoken to people who are about to feel the weight. And it doesn't move along swiftly. And even in the story when, it's in, when Jesus says, we'll not will not the good judge, will not the right judge, will not God come move quickly? Um, Unfortunately, a little bit of bad news here. That doesn't, to us, that that word quickly doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. It means that when God moves, it's going to happen swiftly. And I, I think it would be great if we lived in a world where we didn't need these kinds of stories, but we do. And Jesus tells us this story precisely because he knows that as long as we live in this world, both for Israel in the first century and for every person who has ever lived in every century to follow, there will be times, and sometimes they will be despairing and devastating, where it will be our great temptation to surrender every bit of our posture toward God in prayer and hope and simply to lose heart And I want to say, don't lose heart. And if you say, I can't help it, then find someone around you in this room and tell them, I need help not losing heart. Because that's why we're here together. And so these things go together. Not losing heart and praying always. To pray is to turn to God and ask for help. To pray is to say, here I am. Here is our need. Here is our brokenness. Here is our ruin. Here is our great hope. Here, God, help us. And if you don't help us, we're sunk. This is a word to weary souls to be encouraged. To hold to the long story. To do what you must do ahead of you to do for your life and then to hope and pray and work toward God's end. Is to keep returning to God with whatever meager or resilient faith that we can carry. It's so sad. <laughs> And I want to say a final words, because I know, particularly for those of us who may have grown up in a particular church circles, when we hear this word, pray always, somehow this encouragement to keep praying, to keep coming to God can end up being just another heavy chain. Am I praying right? Am I praying enough? These are immensely unhelpful questions. It's far simpler than all that. Just keep your heart and your eyes circling back toward God. It seems to me that perhaps one way we could describe prayer is simply the refusal to lose heart. To keep looking God's way for help. To being like the psalmist and gathering up The great turmoil within us, the the quandary, the distress, and just bring it to God. And stop trying to actually handle things for God, you know, like clean up our prayers, making sure we say the right Christian thing, but say, God, I'm gonna badger you. (laughs) I mean, thankfully, I don't I don't think we need to badger God, but we need to have some tenacity we don't lose heart. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.